lot of people are interested in. They're interested in it whether they like it or not because we can see what rock music is actually doing. It uh, programs the mind of man, causes man to think ungodly because the message is ungodly. And Brother Timmons played some of the rock records backwards, and you've heard a lot about that. I read an article in the paper about the message on rock music and how that they, they will play that. Uh, you can play it backwards, and they have different messages on that. While you, when you hear the word and the phrase backward, you do not understand what you're hearing, but the mind has a way of transposing it so that you get it without knowing that you get it. And there's so many uh, people that are really hooked on rock music. It, uh, it is really amazing what's happening in our, in our land just almost every place you go, there's just uh, something like this going on. And how crazy people really act. You know, there are people that think we were crazy if they saw us worship the Lord. I mean, they really would. In fact, I've, I've had people say before, man, uh, your people are just uh, strange indeed. But to see people, how they respond to this rock stuff is an amazing thing altogether. I guess to add to the humor tonight, because it seems like everything we've done here in the last two or three services has been very humorous. Even our business meeting last night was that way. But uh, talking about rock music reminded me of a cartoon that I saw uh, in the paper, I don't know, four or five, six weeks ago. And it just uh, had two, uh, two dogs. They were sitting in the... Their teenage master's bedroom. And they would look very bewildered as they looked at each other. And of course their teenage master was out discoing to the music. And one of the dogs looked at the other one and said, Hmm, last time I acted like that he gave me a worm pill. And it is really amazing how that, how that, uh, <laughs> how that people can get so caught up in, in, in such a foolish thing that's so dis- destructive. I mean, really destructive. I mean, any time that music is teaching rebellion, it's teaching open sin, especially in the line of sex, and teaching drugs that literally blow your mind. And cause you to not even act like a human being. Now you know you don't have to have much smarts upstairs to understand that something's wrong with that. I mean, you've got to, you know, you've got to understand something's wrong with that. You know, and if you can't understand that, your fenders are bent for sure. You know, there's just something wrong with a person if they can't analyze that that kind of garbage is is destructive and disastrous to their well-being. Praise God, brother La- uh, brother Alaska, brother Blackshear told me to greet all of you from Alaska. So saw brother Blackshear this past week, and he sends his greetings, and everything's going good. They're building a new home, and their church is filled up with people, and they're going to build a new auditorium. They have collected already this year $65,000. And they're going to build their new auditorium debt-free. I talked with you only about two or three weeks ago, and I told you 50000 That's what he told me. But he said, we've, we've gone up to 65000 They collected $15,000 in the last couple of weeks, which is really great. And I do sincerely appreciate your prayers and support because Alaska has been, well, it's off the beaten path, so to speak. And, of course, you're well aware of that. And uh, it's not easy to get preachers in Alaska. And uh, most of the population there outside of Anchorage is spread out in small areas. And fellowship is fairly confined and isolated from the, you know, the body of believers that are in Anchorage. So uh, we just trust and pray that God will... 
continue to bless them, that you'll keep supporting them with your prayers. Praise God. That's a, that is a very, very important thing that you do this. Praise God. Now, I made mention earlier concerning uh, my message tonight and concerning what Brother Timmons has spoken of. I guess I want to talk on the positive side of the story, however. Well, I do see iniquity as it marches across the planet Earth. I also see that God is really doing something also in the form of revival. And I think that, you know, if we didn't look at the positive side, we, we'd become real scared and afraid and uh, perhaps even discouraged. And while it is necessary for us to look at the negative side and understand the consequences of sin, it is also necessary that we understand the reward of the righteous and that God is really moving and doing a great work here in this planet Earth. Praise God. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew, the 24th chapter. And this is a chapter that deals with the prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for His church. I suppose the reason why that I felt extremely impressed to just deliver this to you tonight... While I was down in St. Louis, I talked with Brother Pugh, and he happened to be our morning speaker at camp last year. He did a tremendous job. came up to me and said, Brother Grant, in all the places I've ever been, never been to a camp meeting like Wisconsin. He even called some of the ministers around and said, if you want to treat indeed, go to the Wisconsin district camp. I said, I want to tell you before you go, the people in Wisconsin, contrary to what you would think, because of their German and uh, European cultural backgrounds, those people are not quite as reserved and introverted as what you might think. In fact, he said, there has never been a campground nor a church service that I've been in where they had more dancing in the spirit than what I saw in Wisconsin. Now, he said, I was delighted. However, you know, being a pastor, you want to check things out according to Scripture. He said, well, I did understand that the Scripture advocated such. I just felt impressed when I got back to take a look at the Scripture. And he said, you know, he said, I have come to the conclusion that there's a whole lot more in the Bible relative to dancing in the Spirit than what we ever dreamed. See, worship is not taken from the Old Testament nor the New Testament. Only it's taken from both because worship is a spontaneous, natural thing. You know, we don't have to teach people how to do it, in other words. And he said, uh, I'm just advocating in Odessa that our people dance in the spirit more. He said, you know how Brother Pew is. He just was just such a great thing and such a great spirit. But he said, I'll tell you, that was a delight indeed. Praise God. The truth of the Lord Jesus Christ is marching in this present world. I'd like to turn your attention to Matthew 24, verse 9. And you've stood quite a bit tonight. In fact, you stood almost all the service. And we always have you to stand and to read the scripture. But tonight, my message is just kind of, I don't want to say off the cuff. Because I have studied and prayed. And I don't want to give the impression that, hey, you know, I'm just getting up here and out any notes or anything, just talking. Well, sometimes I do that. Uh, I only do it when I really feel that that's the thing that God wants me to do. Sensing the hunger that's in our world and sensing the need, uh, it just appears that, that as a minister of the gospel that Rather than structuring a message that's just always easy to listen to and structure a message that fits all of the homiletical uh, designs of a message that the hours come in which we just need to minister the word of the Lord. Praise God. Sister Kathy told me this morning, Sister Kathy Pizer, she started a Bible study this week with a Buddhist lady. And while you would think that a Buddhist would not be hungry for God, 
this girl is. And she started this. Brother O'Neill is teaching some Chinese and Taiwanese people the uh, home Bible studies. I don't know if anybody else here is teaching some foreigner Bible study. We have with us Brother Francis, and he's from New Guinea. I don't know if he has much contact with anyone from his nation or not. But uh, there is a deep hunger, not just in America, but all over the world. And I really do appreciate what, what God is doing. So we, we don't want to talk too much tonight about what's shaping up as far as iniquity is concerned, as much as what's happening on the gospel side. Matthew 24, verse 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Sounds like something sad. But Paul said that we should glory in tribulation. And the Lord says, when they hate you, that you should rejoice in the fact that you're able to suffer for his name's sake. You know, people are cruel. They'll pick on you for some reason or another. And what the Bible is saying just be thankful that when they pick on you that they've got a good reason. Verse 10, Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So, regardless of what the devil's doing, and regardless of what the Antichrist has in mind, the Bible tells us that, that the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached into all the world for a witness. And then shall the end come. And then shall the end come. While we think that America has been evangelized, I'm here to tell you that there's a great revival that's happening overseas. When Brother Billy Cole left Thailand, he was asked this question when he came back to his home state of Virginia and pastored there in, in one of the larger cities, I forget which one, and pastored a good-sized congregation. What was the biggest adjustment in coming back home? He said... Now, the biggest adjustment for me was not the culture adjustment, because even though I live in that country, I take my American culture there. You know, you can always eat your fat back in Thailand, see. <laughs> but he said the biggest adjustment in all of this was the services. You mean they don't worship in America like they do overseas? No, the same. Well, what, what about the service? He said, where I preach to hundreds of people now, the big adjustment was adjusting from the thousands to the hundreds. And, of course, you know that Brother, Brother Cole went there in eight years. They nationalized the work, declaring that they had about 150,000 believers in a period of eight years. It's a lot of people. <clears throat> Praise God. And so... Brother Cole was accustomed to preaching to literally hundreds and thousands of people. Uh, Brother Bernard, who is our missionary and superintendent of the, the country of South Korea, uh, they had one of the largest baptismal services that has been recorded in recent history, in which a few years ago, in one day's time, they baptized over 3,000 people. And... <clears throat> You may say, how in the world can they do that? At their headquarters church in, uh, in South Korea, and I'm not for sure now what city it's in, but it's in one of the larger cities, but I don't think it's in the capital city. They built a baptismal tank, and uh, their baptismal tank was nothing less than a swimming pool that they had ordered from a commercial company here in the States and had it shipped over. And they, they put that in the backyard of the church out there and baptized people in it. 
And they baptized over 3,000 people in one day's time. Praise God. Isn't that great? <clears throat> hallelujah, hallelujah. So you see, God is doing something great in this planet Earth. God is doing something great. At uh, a youth congress that the young people had, uh, I think it was last year that when they had the youth conference, they had a panel of preachers. And one of the young people stood up and they were asking questions, said, we want to address this to Brother Pugh. Why is it that in our present day we're not seeing the miracles that we saw and read about in the book of Acts? Brother Pugh gave a very remarkable answer, and I'll give it to you. He said, you know, while we say we do not see them, you've got to understand that the book of Acts was written over a period of about 25, 30, maybe even up to 50 years. We're not really for sure. And he says, in the days that I've been preaching which have been far less than 50 years, I have personally seen almost all of the miracles of the book of Acts duplicated. I have seen people raised from the dead. I have seen people healed on the spot. I have seen demons cast out. I have seen multitudes of people in one night's time give their heart to the Lord. We have anointed handkerchiefs and aprons and sent them out. And I said, well, we don't see this every day in our church, and we wish we would. Please understand that even in the book of Acts, when you read from chapter to chapter, sometimes you get the idea that they just went there and did it, when sometimes months and maybe even years passed from one occurrence to the next. Praise God. And I know since I have been preaching, the short period of time that I've been preaching, not nearly as long as Brother Pugh, but I have seen some great miracles. I mean some great miracles. Some great miracles. I have personally been in the presence of people who were prayed for that were blind and God opened their eyes. There was a lady at our Texas camp one year whose eyes were open. She had been living with her husband about 12 years or so. And had never seen him. And for the first time, she saw him. Praise God. Praise God. I have personally prayed for people who had large tumors in their body who were delivered in a moment's time. And some of you that sit here, we have prayed for you. And I use the term we. This is no credit to me. It's God that does the healing. See, I don't possess power in which I can heal. It's the Spirit of the Lord that possesses me. Praise God. And God does the healing. Praise God. But I prayed for people who were cancer stricken. God has marvelously healed them. I talked with my dad just yesterday. My dad had a cancerous condition. The doctor said, we can help you for a while. My dad said, son, I've never felt better in all my life. Praise God. They can't find any cancer cells in his body at all. God has marvelously healed him. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And I've seen the Lord do some great things in my own body as far as healings are concerned. When I came to the Lord, I had a stomach ulcer, very sick, and most of you have heard this, but you know God just healed me in a moment's time. Completely healed it when He filled me with the Holy Ghost. Our son Steve, who is back on the uh, pew back here near uh, my office. He had a kidney disease. And the doctor says this will be with him the rest of his life. They talk about a kidney transplant. We know of a young girl here in the state of Wisconsin whom we're personally acquainted with that had a kidney transplant from her father. And still, it's not working right. And, and we see her in the hospital. She's on the very same medication, the approximate dosage that Steve was on. And she, as a, a small girl, dwarfed it. The doctor said, uh, your son probably will never be of normal stature. And he'll probably lose his hair as a result of the heavy, uh, heavy uh, dosage that uh, he takes. Praise God. And now he's the tallest one in our family. Praise God. Praise God. And, you know, uh, Sister Grant says, well, he got his height from my dad. And... and and her dad was tall. And uh, I'm not trying to take away from that. 
you know, he was a tall man. But sometimes I feel that God just allowed Steve to grow taller than the rest of us to testify of his greatness. That God is a big God. And while the doctor says he won't be of normal stature, we're going to let him grow taller than the rest of them in his family. Just to show that, that, uh, that I am God. And that I'm on the throne. And that I'm real. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. And he hasn't lost any hair. Really. It just, uh, it, isn't it great? The Lord filled him with the Holy Ghost and just completely healed his body. And he's not taken medication since then. Praise God. Do you know that if God, if God made your kidneys, why can't he heal them? And if he was called the great physician in the days of the Bible, and he is a God that never changes, why isn't he the great physician today? He is. That's what he is. And this is the day that we need to publish the name of the Lord Jesus Christ abroad. Now, I just want to go into something here that uh, to some of you will be very basic. But perhaps we're speaking to someone here tonight that this will not be basic. This gospel of the kingdom. We want to talk about the word gospel. What is gospel? The word gospel is taken from a Greek term. God spelled two words. It means good news. And the gospel was intended to be just that. Some people hear it and they go away sad. It was never designed to make anybody sad. There are certain people in our world that when they hear good news, they're not happy with it. You can go and check with the journalist at our Wisconsin Madison newspapers, and they will tell you the reason why that we print so much bad and accentuate the bad is because the average man desires to hear the bad. Isn't that true? We like to hear things. Why? Because we're geared toward the negative. I'm not for sure why we're geared toward the negative, except that there is a live devil in our world that really would like to destroy us. But, the, you know, if you read about a murder, the gorier it is, the bloodier it is, the better we like it. Oh, we may read it and shudder, you know, and say, ooh, it scares me, you know. But you put the paper down before you finish the story, and you just got to slip back in there and pick it up and read the rest of it. There's something about it that's enticing. It's like I spoke to you concerning television and the fact that that when a poll was taken this was a recent poll that that parents all agreed not only parents but educators that that uh, the violence on TV certainly has an, uh, its effect on young people and a lot of crimes that are committed are directly related to television almost every crime on television is is duplicated in the streets and in the home someplace that's where they get it so why don't we remove it? Well, because we're not willing to remove it. We know it's bad, but we don't want to do anything about it. And there's some people that when they hear good news, it's not good news to them. Because some people, when they think of the church, all they can think of is, Oh, now I've got to be obligated to something. Now I've got to be tied down to something. And surprisingly, even when some people get in the church, you'll ask them, We'd like for you to do this or do that. And, and a lot of people say, well, I don't like to be tied down. Well, now, responsibility is not tying you down. You know, when I think of being tied down, I think of somebody that's bound, strapped. Responsibility is not the strapping the tying, the binding of an individual, friend, it's through responsibility that you find liberty. Sure, you have to discipline yourself to do something, but listen, the people in this world that are that are disciplined, that are that are doing something are the people that are happy. And the Bible says the laws of God are not grievous. 
You know, when Paul speaks of repentance, he said, Godly sorrow worketh repentance not to be repented of. Now, when he says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance not to be repented of, he's saying, Godly sorrow brings repentance never to be regretted. That's what he's saying. In other words, when you repent, you don't sit around and regret that you've repented. And people don't have a regret that they that they're repented and that they're living for God. Well, I've had a lot of people say, you mean to tell me you go to church all this time and you're a pastor? You know, you must really have to deny yourself of so many pleasures in the earth. You know, and the truth of the matter is, you know, when it comes down to it, I attend all of the filthy uh, movies that I want to attend. You know, it's just that plain. Now, I never go to them. The reason why is because I just don't want to. I drink all of the booze that I want to drink. And yet I don't drink it all. Why? Because I don't want to. That's just it. I smoke all the cigarettes that I desire to smoke. And yet I don't smoke at all. Why? Because I don't want to. I remember when my wife and I had been married, I think only five years, and she met a girl that she went to school with, and, and uh, they were talking, you, she, you're still married? Yeah. You know, five years to the same man. Isn't that something? Oh, that's what she said. Do you remember that? It was a crazy thing. And she said, you've got to be kidding. She says, oh, to the same man. I'm happily married to the woman I want to be married to. Praise God. And I think I've got a very lovely wife. You see, you see, while some people are feeling sorry for you because you're bound and strapped, well, we don't take it that way at all. Happy people are people who are responsible and who are obligated to certain things in life. Now, you know, if I didn't have people calling on me and I didn't have people wanting my services and I didn't have people depending on me, I'd feel worthless. Now, I just want to just tell you this as we... We progress in this particular message. Just to come here to church and sit on the pew and never do a thing. You don't teach Sunday school. You don't work on the bus route. You, you don't go on the, on the bus. You don't drive a bus. You never work. get your hands greasy on the buses. You don't work inside the building. You don't help vacuum the pews. You don't help paint the walls. You know, you don't help shovel the sidewalks. You don't go out and mow the lawn. You don't help plant the flowers. You don't trim the shrubs. You don't put the garden hose out to, to, to water the lawn. You don't teach in a Sunday school class. You don't even go down there to help discipline. When they're serving in the cafeteria, you don't do anything there. All you do is come in here and sit down and pay your tithing. Friend, you can have it if you want it. But that's not for me. And, and I'll tell you, to get me to do something like that, friend, you might as well just throw me, cut me up in pieces and throw me at the devil. I, I don't care anything about that type of life. I would feel like the, the most worthless individual that God ever created if somebody wasn't depending on me to do something. I want somebody to need me. And if you're frustrated and you're confused, that's exactly where you're falling short. Because everybody wants somebody to need them. And to be united with something in which you are not involved in doesn't make sense at all. The gospel is the good news we got something exciting. We've got something alive. We've got something real. Amen. 
Praise God, praise God. Of course, the Apostle Paul speaks of the gospel in detail in 1 Corinthians 15. It's very basic to most of you, but I would like you to turn there. 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, praise God. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, and how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried... And that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And after that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And then, of course, he talks about he was seen of James and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he said he was seen of me as of one born out of due season. But now the gospel that he speaks about, he details it. He talked, what is the good news? Now he says, now we're saved by that gospel. Now he says, the gospel, and he explains, is the death, it's the burial, and it's the resurrection of the Lord. Praise God. And the longer I preach, the more refreshing it is to tell people what they need to do to be saved. You know, you'd think that something... That you tell over and over and over and over and over. It's an old, old story. But friend, it's still good news. It's still refreshing. It's still vibrant. To tell somebody that they can repent. Praise God. The gospel is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and they said, What must we do to be saved? Rather than explain the gospel... In terms of, well, this is the gospel. Christ died, he was buried, and he arose. See, he had already preached that. He'd already preached that to the people. Read Acts, the second chapter. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ arose. And he said, now, now you may have crucified him ignorantly, but he said, you're responsible for his death. He died for you and for your sins. Of course, after he preached that, they ran to him. They were pricked in their hearts. Now, being pricked in their heart simply means that there was a deep feeling of regret and remorse in their heart. There was something inside that just, like a magnet that pulled. And they said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent. Now, he'd already preached the gospel. Repentance, does that have anything to do with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ? It definitely does, because in repentance... We literally die. The inner corruptible man begins to die. The soul and the spirit of man that's been corrupt through ages of sin begins to die inside of us. That's why Paul says we were nailed to the cross with him. Don't you know that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and when he was nailed there, friend, he didn't hang there for his own sins. He didn't hang there because he needed to die himself. He took your place there. When Jesus hangs suspended between heaven and earth, and he made this cry, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Friend, that ought to have been your cry because he took your place. He felt totally separated from God. He, te- he felt totally separated from righteousness he took upon himself our sin the Bible says we have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities but it was in all points tempted like as we yet without sin there never was a curse word that fell from his lips there never were evil deeds that came forth from his hands what he was inside was what he lived outside That's what he was. And you know the human race, we're so prone to be hypocritical and such. Oh, how we cherish that moment in which we can fall before God and repent. Now the gospel, repentance is not just something that occurs one time only. But repentance is something that 
You see, we are constantly associated with the crucified Christ. You know, Paul said, woe unto me if I, re- if I remove the offense of the cross. Now, what he was saying is that the cross is offensive to people. Why is the cross offensive to people? Because it denotes death. And sometimes we rise up even after we have repented and we want to be selfish and we want to have our own way. And occasionally we say, hey, I want to go certain places in which I need, don't, shouldn't be going. And you see, Jesus said, except a man take up his cross daily and follow after me, he cannot be my disciple. And so all of us have a cross. And that cross is offensive. And friend, if you ever reach a place when you put your cross down because you're tired of bearing it, you're going to be in real trouble. Because you know, every now and then you say, I want to do this. And that symbol of death that hangs upon us, our self-will, it becomes offensive to it. We say, I want to go over here. And somehow the cross says, you can't do that. I died so that you can't do that. I died to separate you from sin. You see, the whole symbol of the cross is a symbol of death. I know after I was saved a little while, the Lord began to speak to me about the ministry, and I didn't want to preach. I wanted to do, I had so many ambitions outside of preaching, I really didn't want to preach. And so there was a time in my life in which I slid back a little bit. Oh, I still went to church, and I paid my tithes, and I did a lot of things, but my heart wasn't in it. And then I got the question, is it wrong to do this? Is it wrong to do that? And is it wrong to do this? And is it wrong to do that? Now, I remember I worked for the Texas Forest Service. So they sent us down to uh, Lufkin, Texas. And I was involved in some civil service uh, work. And, of course, uh, I hold license even today with the Federal Communications Commission and uh, with the civil service from the standpoint that if in the event an atomic bomb were to come, that uh, I would be licensed to go and communicate the message and use the, the instruments and such to detect the, the gamma rays and such that are in the air. Well, at any rate, we had the evening spree. And there was a local fair type thing there in town. Some of the men had gone over there, so they came back and they wanted me to go that evening. And uh, so... I never gave much thought to it. I said, all right, I'll go. But as we went down to the restaurant and we were eating our supper and getting ready to go, they got to tell him about all these shows that they'd been to. And oh, they told about this girl and how she was dressed and everything. And the Lord began to talk to me. Now, at that time, I was not the best Christian I ought to be. Now, I don't know of anything that I was outwardly doing that was wrong, but, you know, my heart wasn't with it. You can feel you see, you can usually feel you're slipping before other people can, see. So I knew that uh, my heart wasn't quite right. And they, the more they talked about that, you know, the, the worse I felt. I thought, now, I should not have committed myself. But I thought, well, that's all right. Uh, I can go on over there. And they're all going. It's just good, clean fun. It's a fair, you know. But... Uh, when they all started getting dressed, I went in to shave, and uh, it was on my mind. And I remember I just asked the Lord, should I go? And all of a sudden, it just seemed like the cross spoke out to me and says, you cannot go there. I died to free you from such things. Now, I probably would have gone, but the way they explained it. And, you know, the, some of these fairs, even though they may have little popcorn stands and a lot of things out there that look real good. You know, I, if I'd have gone over there, and I probably could have gone without these men, and it wouldn't have been such a bad thing. But in view of the fact that they were all planning on slipping around to the back to some of the side shows and things, they would have probably wanted me to go. And so what I did, I bowed out after the cross spoke to me. And I've got to tell you, 
there was a man there who was just a number one deacon in a church. And he says, now why he said this, I don't know. He said, I know you don't want to go over there because you feel that it's wrong. But he said, my, he said, the Lord died to take care of sin and he knows that you are a sinner and he knows that every man's going to sin a little bit. That's why he did it. But let me tell you something, friend. The cross was never designed to be licensed for you to have your way. And he actually made fun of me. He really did. He actually made fun of me. He said, I have never in my life seen such a narrow-minded man. And you hear a lot about that. You know, some people are so open-minded their brains fall out. Really? I mean, you see people that really... Just everything goes. They don't even use good logic. Well, listen, we're on the straight and narrow. And while I don't want to make the Christian walk sound so restrictive that nobody would want to join up. Oh, listen, I'll tell you one thing. I'm so glad that Jesus Christ came and set me free. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now, let me tell you something. This is just plain language. I don't think you can go into places like that and see all these women half-dressed and everything. And you sit there, and if you enjoy that, and if it's entertainment, that's what it's designed to be. And then, all together, expect a real happy relationship with your wife. And the reason why that some people are always gazing around because they see too many nude bodies on television in various places where they ought not to be looking. Does that sound plain? You know, there's so much there's so much in our world that that is so contradictory to the Bible. Yeah, I remember when I was a I was a kid, I think it was Betty Grable, I, I think that's who it was. She insured her legs for a million dollars. Now she really thought she had a set of legs, didn't she? Worth a million dollars. Well, my legs are insured too. No, it's right. It's it really. It's it's right. I've got a life insurance policy, and if I get one of them cut off, I get twenty five hundred dollars. <throat> it's part of it. Well, mine's not worth a million, I suppose. But you know, legs are legs. But now you can tell, now that woman really thought she was, she was stuck on herself. That's exactly, you know. And, and you see there's so much of this in the world, you know. And people are just out displaying themselves and such. Oh, let me tell you something. You know, it is so good to come into a sanctuary like this where the ladies dress nice and modest and cover their bodies. And, and, and the men do the same and we can have a beautiful relationship with each other. And and we can we can we can enjoy the presence of the Lord and, and, and we can enjoy wholesome things. Praise God, praise God. And while there's a lot of iniquity in the world, friend, there's a whole lot of people that feel exactly like I feel. I'm not out in left field by myself. Praise God. And I'm so glad that Jesus Christ, the cross, the cross, Jesus provided. A method in which I can get rid of all of my sin and all of my iniquity and all of my selfishness. Oh, I used to be selfish. Before I gave my heart to the Lord, you asked me to come and help you do something. I always considered myself first. But I tell you what, I think probably I had a stomach culture simply because I was so selfish. You know what was paramount in my mind? I wonder if I'm going to get to go fishing. He wants me to help him work on his car. Oh, how can I get out of that? Well, I devised some careful plans, but most of them entail lying. And then after you lie, you wonder all the time, I wonder if you're going to find out about this. You know? Some of the crazy things. And I got a stomach ulcer. That's what it's all about. And you know, the good thing about repentance is that, that it is the real slave 
Why I used to, even the people who helped me pray through the Holy Ghost, there were people that I prayed for that, man, I didn't like those people. But did you know that God put a love in my heart? I used to sit way back in the back. And listen, the church that that I attended, when you sat in the back, you were alone. Because we only had a handful of people and they they all were up front. So we had about two-thirds of the church empty. And I'd sit way in the back. Now, it was not a lively church like this one. I don't know what I would have done then. But we had some people that did occasionally get a little bit happy. And I used to sit back there and think, man, well, if I ever marry, I hope I don't marry a woman like that. Dear me. You know, dancing in the spirit. And if the Lord ever saves me, I hope I don't have to act like that. You know. But I'll tell you what happens. You see, when the Lord draws you and when the Lord pulls you with the Spirit and you come and you fully repent, you'd be surprised that in just a moment's time you can change your mind about things. And when I changed my mind and I set up with everybody else, you know what I was thinking? Man, I wish I could be like him. He's such a great guy. Mm. If the Lord had ever used me like that. Isn't that something how you can change your mind? And some of you, the first time you came here, oh, did you ever feel strange? Did you ever feel like you were in the wrong place? There's a lady in our congregation who was filled with the Holy Ghost tonight that told me when I first came to this church, I literally got sick to my stomach. I actually did. I went into the restroom. And I was so sick, I thought, dear, what in the world? I have never in my life seen anything like it. But she said, the Lord was talking to me. And she said, I attended my three services, and then I went back to my old church. And when I sat there, I said, this is sickness. And she felt that same feeling come over her. See, there is an adjustment. There's no question about it. There is an adjustment. And sometimes you see the things that we fear most are the things that we need. You know, it's it's like the, the apostles who were out in the ship, you know, and man, they were sailing along and all of a sudden they saw somebody come walking on the water. Now, how would you feel? Now, they got afraid. They really did. They got afraid. But Jesus spoke out to them and said, Be not afraid! It is I! And they looked. The Bible says they perceived it was a spirit and they were afraid. And did you know what was happening here was there was a little storm out there on that, on that uh, lake. And they were bouncing back and forth and they were about to lose their life. And they saw this man come walking on the water. You know, we, we have to... You know, looking at it from a human standpoint, I don't know what I would have done if I'd have seen somebody walking on the water. What would you have done? Now, you think about it for a minute. You know, if there's a pillow around someplace, I'm going to cover my head up or something. You know, this is... And, and so, uh, here, here, you know, they were afraid. And, man, I tell you what let's do. Let's get the oars out and let's get out of here. But Jesus said, be not afraid, it is I. And Peter looked down and said, it's Jesus. You see, the thing that they were afraid of was the thing they needed most of all. And there's something about human nature, friend, that when he encounters the divine, if he's not just right in harmony, there is a fear that grips him. And there's a repelling force that says, get out of here. I've told this story many times, but it's a true story, and yet it was a a funny thing. There was a boy one time while I was preaching, he didn't even wait till the end of my message. He just ran down here, and he just started praising the Lord and weeping and crying, God forgive me, God forgive me, God forgive me, God forgive me. And the brethren gathered up around him, they began to pray, and of course some of them got a little louder than he was. And he looked around and saw what they were doing, and he, he jumped up right out in the vestibule, and then the man looked around, where'd he go? You know, he grabbed his coat and put it on and, 
And one of the brethren went out in the parking lot, and he was going down the sidewalk just as fast as he could go running. So he came back in. I said, what happened? He said, man, I don't know. He just tore out of here like the woods were on fire, grabbed his coat, and the last time I saw him, he was turning the corner down at Walker Street. So I said, hmm, what happened? Well, I don't know for sure. Anyway, we gathered back around. We were praying for somebody else, and all of a sudden, bloop, 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 the doors flew open. Here he came running back in here. He ran right back in here, dropped down on his knees. The brother gathered around him. So I asked him, I said, what in the world happened? He says, I don't know. He said, while you were preaching, I said, I just couldn't wait to get up there and give my heart to the Lord. And when I got up there and I looked around, I got to thinking, man, I've never seen religion like this before. And he said, there was a fear came over me. So I got up and I ran all the way down past Walter Street. And when I was running down the sidewalk, I stopped and I said, hey, that felt pretty good up there. And I got to thinking about... <laughs> no, I, some of you remember that. You remember that? And he said, uh, he said, and I got to thinking about the message that you were preaching. I said, man, I don't want to be lost. I don't want to die without Jesus. I don't want the rapture to take place. And he said, man, there's a fear came over me and I ran back in here. <laughs> now that's quite an ordeal, but that's the way it happened. And you see, the reason why that this struggle takes place in you Friend, anybody that's going to die, there is a struggle that takes place in him. And quite often you'll find people who are contemplating, giving their heart to God. One moment they feel real good about it. The next moment they don't feel good at all. And the next moment they feel like that's a thing they want. And then there's something that comes and says, no. The Apostle Paul explains it in Romans 7 when he said, the things that I do are the things I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do are the things that I don't do. He said, there is a raging battle that takes place in me. My flesh says, don't you do it. But nevertheless, the soul that's inside that wants to be saved says, go ahead, Paul, and do it. Go ahead, Paul, and do it. Go ahead and do it. But the flesh says, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And Paul goes on to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? My flesh says, I don't want to be saved. Do have your own way. But my soul says, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. And so is a time in which you need to forget about what your flesh is saying. And you need to yield your soul and your heart to God in true repentance and let that death take place inside. It's like an Abraham that's tying Isaac upon the altar. Isaac no doubt didn't want to die. But Abraham his father knew that if he would die that the promise had been given that even from old ashes that God would raise up his seed and make him a mighty nation. Oh praise God. Praise God. And you see, that's the way it is when we contemplate repentance. It's a real death that don't let anybody tell you this old business of going to church and, and signing a card and surrendering your all to the Lord and listening to a preacher read a, a prayer out of a book, friend. That doesn't come out of the Bible. And this is a reason why that in some churches you can come and give your heart to Jesus. And friend, they wouldn't tell us where you went after you left the place. You can go to the local restaurant and drink milk, or you can go to the local pub and drink alcoholic beverages. They don't really care. In fact, you might invite the preacher. He might go with you. And if you're not a member of the apostolic faith, then go ask your preacher if he drinks. You know that. You know that. Oh, We don't want to remove the offense of the cross. Such a beautiful thing, though, that there is a death that can take place in your life that will bring you such happiness and such peace. And then, of course, the burial. I don't know of anything that I would rather see than to see somebody go down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a burial. It really is. Praise God. We keep our tank full of water all the time. And while it's it's cold in there, it's such a great thing. Praise God. <clears throat> Sister Margie was recently baptized. Was it cold? It was cold. It, was cold. <laughs> it appears to be cold. Actually, we heat the tank. We just don't want to get it too hot. Praise God. <clears throat> Some of you were recently baptized. And you get in there, and, ooh, but you know when you go down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you come up, you start praising the Lord, you don't notice how cold it is anymore. It's such a beautiful thing. 
Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. And I remember when I was baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, listen, to know that, that, that somehow the Lord had taken His blood and taken all the sin from my heart and removed the old body of sin. And praise God. Remove the old body of sin. Oh, what a glorious feeling it is. Praise God. Praise God. Friend, talk about the Antichrist all you want to. You're not going to scare me. <clears throat> praise God. Talk about World War III all you want to. You're not going to scare me. Praise God. Talk about famine and pestilence is all you want to. You're not going to scare me. Do you know that the church, when they talk about the rapture, the Bible says it's a comfort to them. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the trumpet. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we that are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet Him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. And I know that there's trouble throughout the world, but I can tell you one thing, friend. The Bible says when these things be fulfilled, look up for your redemption draw up nigh. Praise God. There's a bright hope in the coming of the Son of Man. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. I'm looking forward to the day in which the trumpet will blow. Oh, hallelujah. I want to keep my ears open, listening, hallelujah, at the very the very whisper of the trumpet of God. Oh, hallelujah. It's going to be a great feeling, Brother Crowder, when you feel gravity leave you and you look down and you leave in this place. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. We're going to go up to meet Him in the air. We're going to go up to meet Him in the air. We're going to go up to meet Him in the air. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. I tell you, I'm looking forward to that day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's clap our hands. Oh, glory. And then the, the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Jesus Christ died. He was buried and He arose. And that's what the Holy Ghost is. It gives us resurrecting power. If the Spirit raised up Christ from the dead, dwell in your mortal body, it shall also quicken you in the day of the Lord. On the day of Pentecost, they spoke with other tongues as they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. This was assigned to them. And throughout the book of Acts, it was assigned to them. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And as Brother Juno stated, when he received the Holy Ghost and he danced in the Spirit and spoke in tongues and everything, he stopped, you know, and everybody was looking at him. He said, I can tell you one thing. He said, those people on the day of Pentecost don't have one thing on me. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Now, isn't it great that you don't have to explain away everything? You read some tracts and they say, oh, repentance. What is repentance? It's the turning around. It is the turning around. But what they mean when they say turning around, that means you come to church on Sunday. And that's it. And baptism is the sprinkling of water on your head. And the infilling of the Holy Ghost is everything from bless you, brother, or receive it. In one church, they actually slapped you. I don't know how hard, but anyway, that's what they do, see. They said, receive you the Holy Ghost. Feel any better about it? Well, it makes me feel good to know that when I die, that some church is going to take care of me. Friend, there's no preacher in this earth that's going to have the power to send you to heaven. That's something you personally have to take care of while you are here. Praise God. And you know this gospel of the kingdom is being preached in all the world. I just heard a recent report on the Siberian 7. You know how God works in such great ways. Well, we think, oh, 90% of the world hasn't heard about Jesus. Listen, there's a whole lot of people that have. Many more than what you think. Brother Urshan's father, Brother Andrew Urshan, was taken. And he was put in. He was a Persian. And, of course, he grew up in, in, in Persian. And he was taken and put into the Siberian camp 
way up in the cold part of Russia. And while he was there, he preached and baptized many people and won them to the Lord. Now, now, you see, you would never dream that God would be in his being put up there. You know, it would have been real easy up there in that cold country to say, My, my, why in the world am I up here? God has an answer to prayer. But you see, God knew that Russia was going to be locked up tight with communism one of these days. And it's estimated in Russia now, according to some recent statistics that we received, in all probability there are a whole lot more oneness, Jesus named people there than we have here in the States. Isn't that something? Now that is something. And it's the one church that doesn't fear the Russian government. The one church that doesn't fear the Russian government. And Brother Urshan, I think just two weeks ago, went into China, he and Brother Sism, and they ordained Brother Lee Keen, K-E-E-N, as a, an ordained minister of the United Pentecostal Church in China. What's Brother King doing? He's baptizing people in Jesus' name. He's got a school there, 125 students. This year already, now this year already, he has baptized 54 people and 27 of those have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. But the thing about it, even in China, there's a whole lot of baptized Holy Ghost believers. Isn't that something? Throughout the world, people are hearing the gospel message. Now, Jesus said it's going to happen that way before the end comes. Now, the Antichrist can do what he wants to do. Now, he may be outraging and engulfing people and a lot of sin. But listen, there are a lot of people just like you and just like me that are going to preach this gospel until the Lord comes. And we're going to be faithful to the end. And sometimes it's easy to say, well, everybody's faithful to the Lord. No, they're not. It's easy to say, well, it looks to me like everybody's backsliding. No, they're not. Listen, there are a whole lot of people that have their minds made up that they're going to heaven. Praise God. Brother Ralph Reynolds took uh, his wife and moved down to Jamaica several years ago. And it was a country that never heard of Pentecost. And you talk about a revival that they've had down in Jamaica. They nationalized that work and came back. And one of our ministers was down in Jamaica at Christmas time. Now, uh, Steve Zank was with us a few weeks ago, and he said his mom and dad were down there, and they went to the church down there. And he said, Mom and Dad told me, he said, you couldn't believe the people they have. But anyway, one of our ministers went in there in, in the headquarters church in Kingston, Jamaica, and, and they reported there must have been over 2,000 people there. But you see, that's only one of the few churches they have in Kingston now. But one of our ministers went in to send a letter back to the States. And when he bought his stamps, he looked down. And I want to show you what was on the stamp. Turn this on, sister. Now, you may not be able to see this, but this was a stamp. The Christmas stamp. Can you see if you can focus a little bit better? You know what that says? It says Christmas 1982. It's got the cross here. It's got Jamaican underneath it. It's, it's got United Pentecostal, and that's a picture of our headquarters church in Jamaica. Praise God. So he brought back a package of them, and I have one here in my hand that I took this from. I wish I could have gotten it larger, but I would have had to move it way back to, in order to have gotten it larger. And he inquired why. He said, because so many of our government officials are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost and believing in the oneness doctrine. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, glory, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. We want all of you to stand right now if you would. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world for a witness. You know, Jesus Christ doesn't want you to be lost. Praise God. And you know what He's saying to the world? 
He's saying to the world, the Antichrist will come. But he's also saying that Jesus will visit you too. Praise God. He says there's a whole lot of iniquity in the world, but I want to touch you too. I want righteousness. Praise God. Hallelujah. And he said, I'm going to give you a chance to be saved if you want to be saved before the end time comes. I don't want you to go through the tribulation. I don't want you to be here when the earthquakes come and divide the nations. I don't want you to be here when the islands sink in the midst of the sea and swallowed up. I don't want you to be here when people are starving and famine comes. I don't want you to be here when great pestilences come. I don't want you to be here when demons are let out of hell to come and the sting of their torment shall last for five months. We don't want all those things to happen to you, Jesus is saying. The prophecy is clear in the Bible that Jesus Christ wants you to be saved. The prophecy is clear in the Bible that He wants you to walk on streets of gold. The prophecy is clear in the Bible that He wants you to receive the gospel message whereby you can be saved. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God, glory to God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, praise God. There is great victory in this place. And now there's a place on either side of the pulpit right here where you can come and bend your knee in what I would call old-fashioned Bible repentance. We're not just talking about something that churches do. We're talking about something that Jesus commanded. Yea, I say unto thee, Except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Praise God. But He doesn't want you to perish. He loves you. Hallelujah. He cares for you. Some are coming and weeping already and some are praying. Why don't you come on right now and give your heart to God? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. A host of people are coming. Praise God. Praise God. I I don't know if there's enough play, room for all of you to come, but just kneel any place back there. Oh, Jesus is coming. If you see somebody who is a guest here that's praying, why don't you pray with them? Assist them as much as possible. Praise God. Brother Jim Derber's mother came tonight, Virginia, to be baptized in the name of the Lord. She was in our church in Fond du Lac this morning. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank God. What makes it heaven? You know what? I have a vision that we can do that right here in Madison. The city that's left us in the middle of my